Hey there, this is It's All Good, a Block Club Chicago podcast. I'm your host, John Hanson, and this is episode 97. Kind of a hodgepodge episode. I got a bunch of stories for you today. But the first one I'm going to tell you about involves a certain population in Chicago. There's a half a million of them, and I'm talking about feral cats. And Cats in Action is one organization doing their best to try and control that population. So I tagged along on a TNR mission, Trap, Neuter, and Release, and it was quite fun, quite interesting. I learned a lot. I hope you will, too. Here's that story. Erica Rowade's Pullman front porch has a few cat tchotchkes. Well, please, don't call her a crazy cat lady. It doesn't hurt. It annoys There's this uh, image of a crazy cat lady, you know, sneaking around, feeding cats on paper plates and a bathrobe and curlers. And what she's doing is helping control Chicago's feral cat population. In three years, Erica has trapped over 3,000 cats, helped them get medical care as one of the founders of Cats in Action. For Erica, inaction was not an option. I saw something that needed to be done and decided to go for it and make that my community contribution. On a hot summer Wednesday morning around 7 a.m., I tagged along to watch Cats in Action in action. We're visiting an east side woman who's been a caregiver to many cats in the past decade. And by caregiver, I mean someone who likes to feed neighborhood cats, maybe put out blankets or a box to help keep the cats warm in the winter. And this caregiver was in over her head. Well, we're here visiting this wonderful lady, Leticia, who feeds about 15 cats on her property. 15? 15. And we're going to set some traps and catch some cats. We're going to get them to the clinic. We're going to get them neutered, vaccinated, dewormed, microchipped, ear-tipped. And then we are going to return them all to site. They're getting the works. They are getting the works. And we're going to bait them with food. Premium stuff, though, right? Oh, well, today it's premium. Usually it's uh, friskies. And today it's fancy feast gravy lovers. (laughs) Oh, man. it's all about the presentation, really. Yeah, and then... I feel like I should put a garnish on there just to make it look even oh, no, a little I, bit better. Oh, no, I brought better than a garnish. Okay. And that is my famous shake and bake. Okay. And then we're going to shake. And I don't care what cats are used to eating. I don't care if they ate already. They want this. It's like you got two big suitcases. Hey, kitties. How long does it usually take? Should I be whispering? I feel like this is a sting operation. It kind of is. Okay. It's very sneaky. Now we're going to back out. Now we whisper. And then it's kind of a waiting game. Okay. Can you explain why it's bad to have a bunch of feral cats in a neighborhood? Well, first of all, they breed like crazy. A, a female cat will have four litters in a year. Right. And unneutered cats tend to mate and fight, and that's how disease gets spread. And a lot of kittens die. Yes. The mortil- mortality rate of kittens born to outdoor unvaccinated mothers is upwards of 70%. It also stops all the mating and the yowling and the fighting. So you're keeping the peace? Keeping the peace, keeping the cats healthy. And, uh, you know, these out-of-control colonies really can cause the caretakers a lot of stress. Erica's nonprofit started in 2020 as a resource group for people caring for outdoor cats. She also works full-time, but before she begins her workday, her mornings are spent setting traps and helping educate well-meaning caregivers who are overwhelmed. You are welcome. I realized I was out of my league, mm. and without information and education, uh, you're doing a disservice to them. I know they don't live in your house, but they're kind of part of your family in a yeah. way, aren't they? Well, you know, 
this is a rough city. It's rough on people. Can you imagine an animal? I just decided that I was gonna take a leap of faith and allow them to help me. What's the longest you've ever waited? Don't ask. I'm asking. All day. <laughs> yeah. That sounded like one. All right, kitties, let's go. So they go in the trunk? Yep. While with cats in action, the cats are taken to a local vet for shots and routine checkups. Then it's back to Leticia's house. Most of the cats are led back into the neighborhood where they're picked up. They usually return to the caregiver each morning for food and sleep nearby. But if kittens are trapped, sometimes they end up in an adoption center. I'm only releasing the adult that we caught because the other two kittens that we caught the other day turned out to be small enough for adoption. Okay, and Leticia, I'm gonna have you release the kitty. Okay. And then straight up. Woohoo! Freedom! I'm really, really happy for the cat because I know that she will be coming back to eat, to rest, to drink water. So this is just fantastic to know that uh, they'll have a better life. Yeah, that's, that's really a good feeling. Catsinaction.org is where you can go to make donations. One thing that Erica mentioned to me was that they don't get a lot of calls in the Streeterville neighborhood or Lincoln Park or Lakeview, but a ton on the south and west sides. And much like the rest of Chicago, we are a segregated city in many ways. And in terms of feral cat populations, unfortunately, that's the case, too. A lot of people buy cats and they acquire cats somehow, and it costs a lot of money to neuter them to treat them for vaccines and all those other things and so unfortunately there is a large gap in the number of feral cats that are roaming around the neighborhoods there's a long way to say that if you want to help out the cats in the neighborhoods and help communities control them uh, donation to cats in action at catsinaction.org is not a bad idea Block Club Chicago not only has the podcast, the website, we got the TV show too. It's called On the Block. It's hosted by Brandon Pope, who joins me now. B. Pope, how's it going, man? I'm great, man. Yeah, the TV side. We out here. You out there, for sure. (laughs) I love it, man. Great to be on with you, as always. It's a good show. Obviously, the reporters, if you haven't watched it, the Block Club reporters are prominently featured. We dive into deeper stories. It's a lot like Block Club, right? We try and get beyond just the surface level stuff. What do you got coming up on uh, this weekend's show? It's going to be a really varied show. We're obviously going to talk about the rise in in robberies around the city, uh, the migrant crisis. Crisis we're experiencing. There's a new data portal actually where you can actually go on now and see how many asylum seekers are coming into the city, where they're coming from, and kind of manage how they're being treated. So that's a really good thing we'll talk about a little bit. But I'm really excited, man, to talk about the White Sox. Uh, Their play on the field? Well, no, nah, not exactly that. Not much to talk about with that. But the White Sox logo. And its impact in hip-hop culture and culture overall um, is something that is rarely talked about. There's a great new documentary from the White Sox called Fitted in Black, based off my friend Shakia Taylor's uh, writings about it. She's the first black woman sports editor at Chicago Tribune, and she's going to join us uh, to preview that and talk about uh, how the White Sox logo became this staple in hip-hop. You see guys like Dr. Dre, Ice Cube wearing it. I I grew up 
a kid in Ohio not caring at all about Chicago wearing a black and white White Sox hat just because it was cool. Talk about the logo that they adopted in like the early 90s, right? Exactly, exactly. That whole logo changed from the red, white, and blue to just that black, silver, and white and that classic, uh, that Sox logo right there. It just really just took a life of its own with hip hop communities. And so, including me, I grew up wearing hats like that, not even thinking about, oh, there's a team this goes with. It was just something that was just cool to wear. So I'm looking forward to that conversation for sure. I'm shocked that the little cubby bear didn't become a symbol of hip hop. (laughs) You know, I always say if the Cubs had a more like, you know, go with the flow type of color scheme, they'd probably be able to get something going. Just that red and blue doesn't go with everything. You no, know? It, it doesn't. It's so American, right? But it's also like, eh, I can't rock this with anything. Yeah, no, I, I hear you there. It's classic, but oh, let's just say this. It fits me very well, Brandon. <laughs> it does. You know, you, you embody everything the Cubs embody for the most part. <laughs> All right. Uh, cool. I will draw. I'll talk about Max uh, Mac Lederman's pig story he dropped uh, and some other great stuff too. Brandon, uh, well, we all enjoy the show. I'm in, thrilled to be able to do it with you as just uh, one small part of it. And uh, we look forward to the show, man. Hey, man. Looking forward to it. Let's have a good one. All right. It airs uh, Thursday nights at 7 p.m. on the U. It airs Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. on CW26 and some other times too on those stations, MeTV Chicago as well. The best way to find out more is to go to CW26Chicago.com and there is like a channel guide at the top and where to watch our show. It's called On the Block, and we hope you watch. Okay, Lean Yassine has the next story for us from Block Club Chicago. The lead of her article is Dryer Lint, The Jonas Brothers, and a Snowy Leopard, Fast Food, Sandwiches, A Saturday Afternoon Date, A Long Distance Friendship, Having a Loose Tooth on the First Day of Kindergarten. Okay, none of those things have anything in common, but they're just a few of the things that Chicago poets Two of them have written about for strangers while writing in the streets. It's a cool story. Here's Lane. If you ever find yourself walking around Chicago, exploring the different neighborhoods, beaches, or farmer's markets, you might just come across Lisa Marie Farver and Colty, if you haven't already. They are traveling typewriter poets. A lot of people associate typewriters with this like bygone era but it's very true that this machine revolutionized the way that we communicate and was the primary way we made copy for a hundred years there are some people who are older who will just stop and like soak in nostalgia with the typewriter they've written about anything from dryer lint to the jonas brothers and a snowy leopard together and a child's loose tooth on the first day of kindergarten They've also been able to connect with fellow Chicagoans on a much more deeper and emotional level as well. They've had strangers come up and talk to them about struggles with COVID-19 and death and loss. There was an older man who told me about all the things, I think he must have been in his 80s, close to his 90s. He told me about all the things he had done in his life. And we were writing haiku and he said, so though at this age with this, can you tell me like, What's the reason to keep going? Farber and Pulte don't charge a set price for their poetry. They simply ask patrons to donate however much the poem is worth to them at that moment. It's very important for artists to be visible and valuing their work um, in a way that's also accessible. It is a really fun way to play. It's incredibly playful. It is a way that we can use like our gifts and our energy to, to be with people. 
Thanks so much, Lee. And you're seeing the story at blockclubchicago.org. Hey, we're also on the radio, too, at WGN 720 on the morning show, Wednesday, Thursdays, and Friday mornings. Here's a recent appearance from Seamus Toomey with Bob Surratt. Good morning, Seamus. Let's talk first about this uh, dramatic uptick in armed robberies on the northwest side. What are the police saying about this? Hey, good morning, Bob. Yes, this has been something that's really been plaguing the, the city, uh, you know, all across the city, but uh, particularly in the sort of the West Town Logan Square neighborhoods. Um, the robberies are up in, in one neighborhood, up 62% year over year. It's uh, 43% across the city. And, the, the you know, the, the police are really having to answer uh, neighbors and business owners' uh, questions and demands for, for more help here. Um, they, the police say they're trying to uh, coordinate their, their efforts uh, between carjackings and robberies. Uh, carjackings are actually down this year, but uh, that's no solace for uh, for all these people that um, are getting armed rob on the streets. Um, mm-hmm. There was 19 in one weekend in, in the Logan Square neighborhood last month, including a, a crew of guys came into the California Clipper Bar and they stuck up the uh, the workers and the, and the people there uh, having a beer. So it's uh, mm. r- you know, really, really troubling to them. Um, you know, some crimes across the city are down, like I said, carjackings and, and, and homicides. But, uh, yeah, really just a, a, a shift for, um, you know, it's you know, lots of reports of just, you know, younger, maybe even teens that are uh, approaching people sometimes with guns and, and robbing them at all, all hours of the day. So it's really had a lot of folks in these neighborhoods on edge. Um, you know, when mm-hmm. it happens in the, in the middle of the day, you know, that, you know, even know really what to think how do you how do you be careful when it's two right. o'clock and you're getting out of your car police have made some arrests and uh to complicate matters uh, many of these robbery suspects are under 18 some are sent home rather than to the jail so uh it's not just a police problem is it no, it's not just a police problem. And, um, you know, there's also uh, concern, you know, the police have uh, cut back their uh, their ability to chase people, um, mm-hmm. which uh, it leads to a lot of problems when it happens, uh, obviously, including uh, crashes where bystanders get hurt or, uh, you know, there's those split decisions when you're chasing someone on foot. But, um, it, you know, you talk to the officers and they say this really feels like it ties their hands and, and sends a message to these robbers that uh, there aren't going to be any consequences if you can get a, a little bit away from the scene. Got to do something about that. Let's talk about uh, Barack Obama's foundation. They distanced themselves a little bit from plans to combine a couple of Southside golf courses into a professional level course uh, near the uh, center that they're building there. What's the latest on this? That's right. If you, if you recall back when they announced the Obama Presidential Library, part of it was that they were going to combine the Jackson Park and South Shore golf courses, uh, which is uh, 27 holes between those two courses. They're going to combine them into one PGA Tour caliber uh, course. Um, Tiger Woods was going to design it. Uh, Rahm Emanuel was very ex- excited about this seven years ago. But, you know, the, the it's been really stalled over the past seven years or so. And, and just last week, the Obama Foundation 
Foundation, which is uh, uh, the president's uh, foundation that's really helping to fund the, the center. They said they're no longer involved in it. They're, they're walking away from it. Um, so uh, it, it's, a, it's a victory for the neighbors down there who, who really didn't want this. They were going to lose some access to these courses. They're going to lose a bunch of trees and a nature sanctuary there. So uh, it's really unclear uh, exactly if someone else is going to take up the mantle here. But obviously having the uh, Barack Obama behind this uh, put a lot of wind in the sails for the project. Mm-hmm. And, and without uh, without him in their corner, um, it, you know, it'd be it'd be surprising if uh, if they were able to pull off this $70 million, million dollar plan without, uh, you know, without the neighbor support either. So right. uh, stay tuned on that. But if you've driven by this, the presidential library recently, it's really taken shape. I'd say it's uh, it's about halfway up. It's, you know, probably 40 feet in the air. And wow. it's, uh, it's uh, it doesn't have its uh, fancy uh, stone facade on it yet. So it's, it looks a little bit like a uh, like a, you know, like a apartment building under construction but you can really if you go by it you can really start to see what the scope of this project is which is supposed to open they're hoping in uh, in 2025 so stay tuned for that one yeah i'll have to check it out more blockclubchicago.org james toomey thank you thanks bob and that'll do it for it's all good a block club chicago podcast episode number 97 that's a fun one today a bunch of different things cats poets hip-hop and Bob Surratt. <laughs> uh, if you want more on the uh, podcast, you can go to uh, blockclubchicago.org. And to hear all the appearances on WGN Radio, you can go to WGNRadio.com. All right, till next time, I'm John Hanson. Have a great rest of your weekend, everybody.